is good. It's so good to be with all of you this morning. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time today, we want to say an extra warm welcome to you. And those tuning in from home, we want to hear an amen from the den later today. And uh, those that are going to be tuning in. Some are going to be listening in later this week, and we're grateful that you're listening in as well. But, um, you know, as I was reflecting this past week, I was just in awe. I was in awe at how this community is committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose, for the sake of us, for the sake of others, right? And speaking of for the sake of others, I just want to give a shout out this morning. I want to give a little bit of a testimony this morning to how y'all have done that over the last couple of years. Some of y'all may not know, but we're part of a ministry called Meals for Woodstock. And this is something that was birthed during COVID, and, and, and it was a burden on Chef from Vincenzo's heart to, to kind of start something to feed those that were homebound, those that were underserved, the kids that were going hungry. And it's been an amazing journey. And this past Tuesday, Colette was there. Can I give a, give a shout out to Colette? And Ron was there for the second anniversary, second annual anniversary of that ministry. And since its inception, get this, some 13,000 meals have been prepared. $36,000 worth of food has been donated. And over 3,500 hours of volunteerism has made it possible. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? What started off as a modest vision has continues to make a tremendous impact in our community. And, and, and what's even greater, and this is something I want to read to you, is, is Doug Whitley is our new chaplain. Y'all may not know who Doug Whitney is. He's, he's the outreach pastor for Woodstock Baptist. He's someone that I've connected with over the last several years and very involved with this ministry. But he's now become the chaplain for the city of Woodstock and the police department. And he had this to write, and, and this is going to be on the screens, I think, but I just want to read it to you because I think this speaks to the deeper reality and the win that this has. He writes, A big thanks to the team at Vincenzo's for the perseverance and hard work over the past two years. Providing meals for families in need will always be a great thing to be involved in. But one of the most valuable wins over the last two years has been the collaboration between different churches, the city of Woodstock, the community, Woodstock Police Department, and Vincenzo's. I cannot agree with him more. I cannot agree with him more that the Big C Church in Woodstock has shown up. How these small churches, these different churches of different flavors and different expressions of Christian faith have gathered together in an ecumenical spirit and joined with city officials to make a tremendous impact in the lives of those around us. Those that often are marginalized, those that are often gone unseen. And I just want to give a shout out to the way. I want to give a shout out to you those that have served, those that have prayed, those that have given, the way that our tithes and offerings go to fuel this ministry. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to, to see how we do this, how we live out for the sake of others. And if you want to plug in, you can go on our website and look at the serve page, and you'll find out more about how you can plug into that ministry. Or talk to Colette. She's here. She's, she's there every Tuesday that, that the ministry's running, and we'll be glad to speak to you. That, But can we get an amen this morning? Glory to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, now let us turn as we continue in our series on the 10 words, and we're going to join in and listening and reading to the eighth word. We've covered the 10th word. Y'all remember what that one was? Coveting. Ninth word. False witness. We'll hear what is the shortest, at least in character length, of all the 10 words. 
is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you for the way in which you have already awakened us to a hunger to gather in your presence this morning. So whether we're gathered at home, whether we're gathered here in this sacred space, Lord, may we know that all is sacred because of your presence, not because of anything we have done or created. And so God, may we enter in, may we enter in fuller, more fully into your presence into your arms. And Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, as we continue in worship and meditate on this, the eighth word. I ask all this in the high and the mighty and the precious name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Amen. So, so far we've unpacked coveting, lying, and here we are at stealing. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if we're reading from the Old Testament or if we're reading the lyrics from a country music song. I mean, tell me, tell me what country song doesn't have lying, stealing, and cheating on it, right? I mean, isn't it evident in our music industry today that these words, these ten words, are just as relevant today as they were the day in which God gave them to the ancient Hebrew people? And so here we find ourselves in this eighth word, you shall not steal. Seems clear cut, right? Don't take what ain't yours. Don't take what belongs to someone else. And the truth is we know what stealing looks like because we've had stuff taken from us. Can I get an amen? You know what it's like. You know how it feels like to have something taken from us. But therein lies, I think, perhaps some of the challenge with this eighth word. Because we often think of theft as something someone else does. We don't like to think of ourselves as thieves, do we? Or at least I don't. I don't like, I don't like to be considered a thief. And, and, and perhaps a, another challenge with this eighth word, thou shalt not steal, is just how pervasive stealing is in our society in ways in which it's even celebrated. I mean, I mean think about this. How many of you as kids were taught finders, losers, right? I mean, we're taught that, right? If someone leaves something behind and, and they're gone, well, that's, that's for my taking, right? We can keep it. We're, we almost teach ourselves as a society that it's okay if someone's left something behind that it's fair game, right? And then there's the, the, the heroic villains. You know, like, how many of y'all like Robin Hood? I love Robin Hood. Or, or how about heist movies? Any of y'all like Oceans series, Oceans 11, 12, 13, Oceans 8? They're awesome, right? Or the Italian job? I mean, we glorify taking what's not ours, even in the cinema. And, and I love good heist movie. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. If you want to go watch a good heist movie, sign me up. I'll join you in that. But then there's even the, the gaming community. You know, it's become more of an online gaming community today. But, but there's a, a popular game, Grand Theft Auto. Maybe some of y'all heard of it. And it's not just about stealing cars. It has normalized a whole lot of things that should never have been normalized. But even our legal system props up and endorses the ability for us to take you know, our, our lawyers are good about allowing us to offshore income so we don't have to pay Uncle Sam. And I, 
I'm with y'all. I don't like Uncle Sam. Y'all like Uncle Sam? I mean, I'm being honest. I don't like Uncle Sam, but I pay Uncle Sam, right? And then local and federal governments are able to take the property of others through what's called what? Eminent domain. It's even written into our code of law that sometimes it's okay to take what's not ours. So therein lies perhaps the challenge that we run into is that theft, in many ways, has become normalized, and we've become a little desensitized to it, in a way. You know, I was reminded of this in an illustration that Seth Godin gave in his book. How many of y'all are reading the Ten Words of Life? Several of y'all are. It's a great book. And, and in it, he, he, he put the analogy of stealing to that of, of, of food inspection. And, and I got a jar of peanut butter here, and I'm, I'm a peanut butter fan. I like peanut butter, and I like the FDA because it kind of inspects our food and makes sure that it's safe for us to eat, right? But do you know that the inspection that the FDA does is not to make sure that this is 100% pure peanut butter. It's to make sure there's not enough rodent hairs in it to discern that it's not safe to eat. In, in other words, what the FDA does for us is it inspects to make sure that those plants that process things, that package our food and everything, meet a certain threshold of impurity. And if, if we meet that threshold, then it's deemed safe to eat. So how many of y'all know you're eating rat hair when you eat your peanut butter? Y'all probably don't want to eat any peanut butter, right? But, but here's the deal. Here's what Seth Godin's trying to make a point of, is that how often do we do the same thing when it comes to our understanding of taking from other people? How often do we downgrade our sense of consciousness to a place that it's okay? Certain things are tolerable, right? Just like the tolerance level with the FDA. There are certain things that are tolerable for us to take, and we don't think of it as stealing. Think about it. How many of y'all have ever taken paper clips from the office? Or printed something off of the, the copier in the office that was for personal use? How many of us have bumped into a car or swung the door open and and scabbed the side of another car and never left a note in the parking lot, right? How many of us have jumped onto Wi-Fi that belonged to someone else to, to, to get on the Internet, and it really wasn't ours to jump on? Or, or, or how many of us have taken a photo off of social media? I've, I've been guilty of this. I, I'm, I'm confessing to you. And reposted it, but failed to give credit to where I found the picture. Y- you see, we sometimes, in many ways have become desensitized to the ways in which we take what's not ours. We are like the FDA in a way of creating a threshold in our minds of what is acceptable and what is not, what is okay to take and what is not okay to take. And therein lies the challenge with this eighth word. We all, we all have taken something from someone, if we're honest this morning. But here's the thing about stealing is it's more than just about stuff. In fact, dare I say that it's the intangible rather than tangible things that have been taken from us, taken from you, taken from me, that have left deep wounds in our lives. Things like time, dignity, freedom, innocence. Take time, for instance. How many of us have robbed someone else of the time they're yearning to have, perhaps deserve to have with us. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in full transparency this morning. I mean, these words have been meddling with these ten words. And in this one, when it came to time, 
it really got me. Because I got to a point this past spring. Y'all know there was a lot going on, out there, a lot of noise going on in the larger church and, and in the culture around it. And I became consumed in reading and trying to keep up and trying to help navigate and help to cheer people on through a very difficult time. But when I got home, I was emotionally and mentally unavailable to my wife and my kids. I robbed them the time that they deserved. I knew it. They knew it. My wife and I talked about it and cried over it and, and prayed through it. And then I was reminded of the song. Harry Chapman wrote a song, you know, The Cat in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. The little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Right? That's how that song opens up. But you know how it ends, right? Father never makes time for the son and grows up. And the father gets old in age and is slowing down and wants to re-engage with the son. And the son flips the script on him and doesn't have time for the father. What was taken from the son is now taken from the father. And perhaps generationally going on down. You see, sometimes we take time from people. We take something from them that we can't get back. And it's far more impactful and separating in terms of relationships than a tangible item. Same with freedom. Same with freedom. You know, you know it's obvious to us things like slavery. And, and we know that human trafficking is alive and well, Right? And, and, and it predominantly it's through sex trade today, sex trafficking, that human trafficking has become a, a big thing in our day. And, and you may not know it, but the northern arc of Atlanta is one of the highest consumers of sex trafficking, of human trafficking. It, it, is, it is deplorable what's happening, and it's heartbreaking to see what's happening. And, and, and maybe you sit there and say, well, I'm not, I'm not into that industry, the porn industry and things that put that demand on that, and, and, and praise be to God. But what about fashion? What about fast fashion? How many of us like a, a good deal at the retail outlet, and we want to we get clothes at a bargain? And that bargain comes at the cost. Well, I'm get a little bit of feedback here. Yes, God. But that bargain comes at the cost of children, men and women in other parts of the world where they're not protected with labor laws. And they're almost conscripted, in a way, to the work that they're doing. You see, our, our, our desire for a bargain sometimes is what embondages someone else and takes away their freedom. And we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. We're not even conscious of it. And, and, and that leads me to the third way in which sometimes we take something that we don't even realize we do, and that's dignity. We take the dignity of someone away. We take it when we, when we do that, when we find them conscripted into slavery and into trafficking or, or things like that. But we do it even when we're well-meaning. How many of you like to help other people? Can I get an amen? I think everyone in here can raise your hand. Can I get an amen from the den today, too? We like to help people. But here's the thing. I was reminded of this in a book that, that I've led a lot of people through. It's When Helping Hurts. And, and, and in that book, it reminds us that sometimes we take our eye off the ball and we begin to look at those that we're helping as a charity case. We see them as someone in need with nothing to offer. You know, I, I have a family living in our basement. They're, they're just scraping by to make ends meet. And yet I find that they want to bless us with some things. And, and we were kind of like, no, 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 you, you keep that, you keep that. 
But you know, I'm robbing them of their dignity. Because they're also human beings, just like me, and they have something to offer. How often, when we go and we seek to serve, we rob people of their dignity because we don't see them as fellow humanity. That's stealing from them, something that matters, something that is significant in their lives. Which leads me to the last thing that I want to share with you this morning as it relates to things that we take that we don't necessarily realize we take, and that's innocence. Sometimes we take someone's innocence. Any of y'all had your innocence taken from you? I can distinctly remember as a teenager, someone in my extended family was so excited to show me a new card deck of playing cards. And the reality was, on the back of those playing cards were pictures of naked women. It was my first exposure to pornography, and I felt completely uncomfortable. It was not something I went asking to see. And it was very hard, and it took a long time to unsee what had been shown to me. That day, my innocence was taken from me. But for many in this room, you know of, or perhaps you yourself, have had your innocence taken away in other ways. Verbal abuse. Physical abuse. Dare I say even sexual abuse. Some of us have dealt with that, have gone through that and you have been robbed we have been robbed of our sense of self-worth we've been robbed of our sense of identity you see if that's you this morning i want you to know god sees you god sees you and god grieves for what's been taken from you and god wants to restore that in you You see, the reality is is that we take a lot of things that are intangible in nature. And what's interesting about this word, the eighth word, the shortest in terms of character length of all of the Ten Commandments is this. It has no object at the end of it. You remember the tenth word? You shall not covet the house, the spouse, the ox, the, you know. You know, there, there, there's all kinds of things in the, that tenth word that, that are objects of what you're not to covet. But in this word, God stops short of putting an object. Because it's not about the object. It's about how we objectify people when we take from them. When we take from them. And that in lies a deep, deep challenge for us. Because we, when we objectify people, we compromise their freedom. We take away their innocence. We maybe even put a governor on their livelihood. We, we call into question their self-worth. Things of far greater value than the physical things that may have been taken from you or from them, wherever seat you might find yourself in this morning. And it begs the question, why do we take from others? Why is it? Why do we take the paper clips from the office? Why do we do it? Because we're owed it? Some of us justify it that way, right? Well, part of it comes from the 10th word, right? From coveting. We want what someone else has, so we take it. Some of us are impatient, so we don't want to save up to buy it ourselves, so we take it. Sometimes it's the second word, idolatry, and we're going to unpack that in a few weeks. But if I were to sum it up, why do we take what's not ours? It's our bent toward ourselves. It's that bent toward the flesh. 
where we give in to that carnal nature in us that started in the garden with Adam and Eve and continues in us. When we bend ourselves and focus in on ourselves, and we allow sin in, we begin to not look at people as our neighbors, but as competitors. We begin to not see them as neighbors so that we can justify what we take from them rather than love them as Jesus summed up these ten words and called us to do. Right? And the effects of us taking was not ours. The effects of taking from others was rightfully theirs is that it has a devastating effect on their lives. We know this because many of us in this room are sitting right now with something that's been taken from you. In fact, what is it this morning? What is it this morning that, that you're grappling with, that you're, you're hurt by, that someone's taken from you? What is it? And dare I say, I know it's not the tangible object that they took from you that's leaving you wounded. It's their betrayal. It's what they've taken. It's the, it's the intangible that's taken. Because what it does, here's the thing. What happens when we take from people, I don't know about you, but I remember when my dad, we were at a trade show in downtown Atlanta, and, and, and it was a huge show. It was 10,000 people in attendance, and, and he came in, and he was talking about this guy out in the parking deck that needed $20 for a tow truck, only to find out that several other exhibitors in there also were asked for money for that tow truck. The guy was conning him. And he got conned out of 20 bucks in the parking lot, and he was angry. And he also grew suspicious because that's what happens. When we take from other people, we become suspicious. Our suspicion grows. Our trust decreases. Our ability to engage in relationships diminishes. Our willingness to even open up to new people, new relationships, oftentimes is forfeited. And our sense of generosity goes right out the door because what's been taken from us, we think that we can't lose anymore. So what do we do? We hold it tighter. Don't we? Don't we? And so I found myself this week asking, what are we to do? What, what are we to do knowing that we are harboring hurt from things that are taken from us? And, and, and on the flip side of that, we know that there are things that we have taken from other people. You know, I, I was... Last week, as Ann was talking, I was realizing, you know, God's been meddling with me. I don't know. Has God been meddling with you the last three weeks? Am I the only one? I mean, as we've been talking about coveting and lying and now stealing, I I realize what God's been illuminating in me are the ways in which I've bent each of those. And I've participated in each of those. And and, and you know where I go in my mind? Maybe you don't go there. I, I go in my mind. The first thing I do is I beat myself up. I end up beating myself up. Why, Andy, why are you doing that? Why, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And, and, and then this is where I go. Maybe you don't go there, but this is where I go. I, I sit in my mind to it and say, you know, I just got to try harder. I just got to try harder. I got to try harder to keep these rules. In fact, that was what was ingrained in me as a kid. That's what we're trying to undo here in this series is realize it's not about trying harder. Because that's so often where we go. That's so often what we've been taught. It's just try harder. I had a God wink earlier this week, and I'll get to that in a moment. But let me go to this. This is something I want to share with you. It's not about trying harder. It's about our hearts. Because our hearts aren't changed by obedience. Our hearts are changed by our relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. 
Our hearts aren't changed by obedience. Our hearts are changed by a relationship with Jesus. That's what God impressed on my heart this past week, is that this is really a heart issue. Not a head issue, but it's a heart issue. And it begins with a relationship. And, and, and the God wink that I was alluding to is I've been reading a book by Jack Deere. It's called, Why Am I Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit? If you want to pick up a great book on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, alive and well today, and, and, and in deepen your your hunger in your prayer life, I encourage you to pick up a copy of this. But he had this to say, and I'm going to back up from what's going to be on the screen. So I'm going to read something first, and then we'll get to what you're going to see on the screen. He writes, teachers explain the obligations. Because isn't that what we think? These are obligations. We're not to covet. We're not to lie. We're not to steal, right? Obligations. Teachers explain the obligations, warn about the penalties of failing to fulfill the obligations, and display the rewards for satisfying the obligations. Great teachers like Jesus never ignore the obligations, but they don't major in the obligations. They major in God. They show us how to enjoy the road by enjoying God, which involves finding our pleasure in him and feeling his pleasure in us. Good teachers smooth the bumps out of the narrow road by showing us how to enjoy the obligations. The goal is not to pray, but to enjoy praying. And then this, and this is what I want you to see on the screen. When my main focus is obedience, I am least obedient. When my main focus is enjoying God, I am the most obedient. When we enjoy God, his commands refresh our soul. Make us wise, give joy to our hearts, and give light to our eyes. God was speaking to me this past week because I think our temptation is simply to try harder, to, to, to be more faithful to the obligations. But I think what God wants us to know is that we're called to simply just sit at his feet. This past Sunday after worship, I got home and I just needed some me time, some quiet time. I'm an introvert. Y'all may not believe that because I, I, you know, I like to talk with y'all and visit with y'all. But I refuel by being alone. And, and so my family scurried off to the pool and Kristen said, I'm taking the van because I know it needs to be washed and I don't want you washing. I just want you to have some me time. You know, have some you time. I was like, cool. But off the corner of my eye, I saw four loads of laundry that we've run through sitting up there that need to be folded. So guess what I did? I folded four rounds of laundry it needed to be done right in that moment god convicted me that i was more like martha than mary if y'all remember the story of the two sisters martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off trying to clean the house prepare the house make everything just right for jesus and all the crowd that would follow because they would hear the word that jesus had come to town and come to their house and she's all ticked off at her sister mary because what is mary doing Sitting at his feet. These ten words. These ten words of life. This idea about not stealing, not taking, but being a heart of giving. It doesn't start with an obligation. It starts with a relationship. It starts with sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think that's what God has intended. And we're going to see that in the culmination of this series as we get to the first word. 
It's all about a relationship. It's all about a relationship. So where do we go from here? Well, I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus. We unpacked it a little bit this summer about when, when we were looking at salvation, but Zacchaeus was a taker. We don't know why, but he was a tax collector, and in that, he was known as taking what wasn't his. He would skim off the top. In fact, he was a chief tax collector, so he had minions underneath him that were also skimming off the top. So Zacchaeus was loaded, y'all, with money that wasn't his. And I can't help but think that he got the stink eye every time he left his house and he walked through town. You, you know, he, he got that eye glaring at him because of how he had taken from the community. He was isolated from everyone save one. You know who that is? Jesus, who came into his house. And Zacchaeus, <clears throat> his sense of taking changed. First and foremost, by simply embracing Jesus. Having encountered Jesus, began to embrace Jesus and after embracing Jesus and what Jesus had to offer, and we find Zacchaeus saying this to Jesus. says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You see, Zacchaeus' taking became a heart of giving only through a relationship with Jesus. That's where it started. And that's where it starts for you and me, with these ten words. It starts not with a rule, but the relationship. It starts with a relationship that we can have through Christ Jesus. And so for those of us today that are sitting here today, and, and, and you know who you are, where you've been carrying around some guilt today because of something you've taken from someone else. It may have been decades ago. It may have been last week. Know this hear this hear the words of Christ Jesus from the cross as he says father forgive them for you are forgiven for the one who gave his one and only son for the sake of the world his one and only son he gave his all so we might have it all speak to you may he speak to you saying you are forgiven And not only forgiven, but you're also emboldened, just like Zacchaeus, to go from a heart of taking to a heart of giving. You can go and attempt to make retribution if possible. And if that person is no longer in your life and you can't do that, know that you're forgiven. You can can pay it forward into someone else's life. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to in this word. From, From theft to generosity, from taking to giving. And then for those of us today that are living with the repercussions of something that's been taken from you, you know who you are. Maybe your innocence was taken away. Maybe your dignity was taken away. Maybe your sense of self-worth was taken away. Maybe a relationship was taken away from you. I want you to know this. God sees you. God sees us. And God grieves for us. God offers to heal us too. You see, he invites us simply to abide in him as he abides in us. Would you just sit at the feet of Jesus? Would you allow yourself to trust yourself to him again? 
Because by entrusting in Jesus, he'll begin to restore your sense of trust in others. And he'll take that heart that's been hardened and that sense of scarcity and blow it away and give you a heart that is tender and give you a heart of abundance and give you an outlook of being generous to others and invest in others as he has and desires to invest in you. I believe that's what we need to take from this eighth word. It's not the duty. It's the relationship. It's the relationship. Would you come to Jesus today? Would you you embrace his forgiveness today? Would you embrace his lavish grace, his generosity for you today? Would you allow him to restore what's been taken from you today? So that we can step away from taking and be a person and a family and a community of giving. I believe that's what he's calling us to today. Amen? We're going to open the, the rail here in a minute for prayer. And I want to invite you, as you feel led, as a choir sings a response song, to, to come and pray as you feel led. And I want you to know that if there's a deeper work that you need, or you're feeling compelled to maybe pray into someone else's life, we're going to be back in here at 5 o'clock tonight. We're going to celebrate in communion. We're going to be reminded of God's lavish grace for our lives. And I hope that you'll join us back here so you can pray with one another and receive healing prayer for whatever's been taken from you. My heart's desire is that we would be able to receive what God has for us today. Amen? The one who gave his all so that we might have it all. A heart of generosity. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your tenderness. I thank you that you know what's best for us, even when we don't know ourselves. I thank you for this word of thou shalt not steal, and we see it as rigid until we realize we were the ones that have broken it. And perhaps many of us feel like we have to repay in some obligatory way. But that's not what you're asking for. You're inviting us into a relationship with you in which you cancel all debts, our sins. And you free us for joyful obedience through what your son did on the cross and through an empty tomb for each and every one of us, beginning with me and everyone here. And Jesus reminds us that those of us that are weary of carrying what we've been carrying, the guilt, the shame, whatever it is as it relates to this word, well, maybe we'll be reminded of the words of Matthew 11 where you just simply say, come to me. So God, in these moments, as we continue to worship, may we come to the feet of your son, Jesus Christ. And may we receive what we need May us not be a a people of taking, but a people of giving. But only in response to the greatest gift that we could ever receive that you gave us through your son Jesus. Salvation. Eternity. A life abundant here and now and a life forevermore with you and through faith in you. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Amen.